You listen to 247 Real Talk. Once again, this is your host, Julian Perry. And for this episode, I'm speaking with the author of the book, Finding Your Own Happy, The Soul Searcher's Guide to Peace and Happiness for Everyday Life. I'll be right back with Ilana Davidson. Good evening, Alana. Welcome to 247 Real Talk. Thank you for joining me as a guest on my show. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. It's uh, seven minutes after 11 on the East Coast, uh, Wednesday, April 14th. And for many people, this is a late hour, but this is my best hour to record. Uh, So thank you so much for joining me and staying up, probably past your normal bedtime. (laughs) So I'm going to get right into it like I always do. And um, I'll start this conversation by talking about the struggle that's going on right now. The the world, you know, United States and, you know, many parts of the world have seen something that in, that most of us has been the first time in our lifetimes, considering that the last time there was a pandemic was 1918, I believe. And... It has created a lot of havoc in, in most of our lives in different ways. And one of those ways is what it has done to our emotions, our mental health, our emotions. And, you know, you see a lot of violence and a lot of people committing suicide and, and, and numerous other things because people are struggling. And you seem to have gone through um, uh, uh about part of your life you've gone through where you said, uh, as I'm reading some of the information you sent to me, you struggled with depression for decades. And I believe that many people are in that place right now with depression and need help and hope to, to, to pick themselves up and, and to get out of that space. So I want to first ask you to tell us a bit about your life and your history before I, I get into the meat of this discussion. Sure. Yeah. So I did struggle with depression probably since I was about 11 or 12 years old until my early 30s. And I did a lot of different things to try to shift and change it, right? Tons of self-help, personal development, going to therapy, positive thinking, all that kind of stuff. And there were still levels of my depression that I was not able to change. The only thing I didn't do was go on medication. Um, And then I started to put pieces together that I had been missing that made a real and significant difference till I got to the point where it's sort of like I had all of the pieces that I needed and they came together. And then it's not that I don't ever get depressed anymore, but it's that when I do, I usually can identify very quickly what it's about and what I need to do with it to change it and get out of it rather than just being stuck with these horrible feelings of depression, even like many, 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 many times, more times I can, than I can count in my life, I felt like I didn't want to live anymore. Uh, and that's, that's very, very rare now that I go to that. And, and when I do, I'm like, okay, what's really going on here? And I can usually work myself back out of it. Um, so Okay. Yeah, it's been quite the journey, but um really glad to be in a different place, I'll have to say. Yeah, that's fantastic to to know that you're you you've not only made progress, but you're you've gotten to a place where you're helping others because I always you know, I've mentioned to several of my guests and we've had discussions broaching the subject of uh suicide and I get the extra T V email daily that talks about the celebrities and you know Mm-hmm. I don't know, what, you know, if I would necessarily call it um, gossip, but um, it's unfortunate that you know, every few days there's an entry in there with some either megastar, medium star, or rising star that's committed suicide. 
Yeah. And, you know, people mm-hmm. often, you know, and I was one of those people's people for a while who um, associated suicide with the wrong thing. You know, we think we understand this, this complex issue, but we don't. Um, until, you know, and I, I associate it with a lot of times with depression that comes from the struggles of life that have to deal with, with tangible things, you know, monetary struggles or, 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 you know, something to, of that level. But then to find out that you have people who are, you know, well off, you know, millionaires who are committing suicide. And it's, it's always, it's always mind boggling because, you know, I'm not in their world and I can't really see what they go through, but obviously this struggle of emotional health is universal, irrespective of status or socioeconomic status, et cetera. So mm-hmm. getting into what you speak about and your three main keys to overcoming chronic unhappiness um, for many people or for most people, I'm going to go through each one. So I'm going to ask you first to speak about the unaddressed or unresolved emotional or psychological trauma that needs healing. Yes, that that's a big one. Most of us had some sort of trauma growing up in our lives, in our childhoods. And some of us got to process it appropriately, got to work through it and resolve it so it no longer affects us. And others of us are still carrying around in some way that hurt or pain, and it hasn't been resolved. And the thing that I learned in my own journey and then in working with clients as well as in my study of children in childhood is that one of the things that makes the biggest difference about whether or not you sort of recover from your trauma and have a well-adjusted life or not is whether or not you were able to acknowledge the trauma for what it was first of all, and second of all, to have an emotionally appropriate response to what happened to you. And so if you go through trauma and there's no one in your life that can empathize with you, can care about you, can care about your feelings, and you have no place to actually have that emotion around what happened to you, then it goes underground it goes into the subconscious and then you're carrying that around not even really being aware of it I can't tell you how many people I talk with who you know in very quickly in our conversation we go back to something that happened when they were a little kid but they never got heard around they never got seen around and they still like people in their 50s and 60s right who have something that happened when they were four years old that is still hurting them and when we really get to it and give them the empathy, they're able to shift it and let it go. Okay. That is, you know, that as, as you were speaking, I was thinking about something recently in the news and I don't know <clears throat> how much you pay attention to all the different things, you know, because people have different uh, ways that they deal with what's going on today. Mm-hmm. And I know many people turn off the news and I've had a few friends who just simply don't look at it anymore. And I did that for a while, but what crossed my mind when you talked about trauma, and I'll, you know, um, and I'll just share this because it was a thought process of my own. I'm not sure mm-hmm. if you're aware of the rapper DMX who died maybe a week ago. Um, he he had a heart attack and died. He's 50 years old, but um, I think it's TMZ uh, reported that the the heart attack was the result of an overdose. And, you know, as I thought about it and I listened to people speak, you know, many people have opinions and I, I, it's hard to understand sometimes with someone that, that, you know, has a certain level of celebrity and opportunity and, you know, kind of ends up in that direction. And then someone sent me a video and the video was of a woman speaking about DMX and it was such a powerful video because she actually knew him well. And what's relevant to what you were saying is she talked about they, they met and, and they spoke about their childhood that was spent in several foster homes. Mm-hmm. And it was yeah. something traumatic that they went through 
that they shared, you know, they had similarity with that. I, you know, I, I don't know a lot about it. I, you know, you know, I, I thankfully have not had to go down that dirt, you know, that road in my life. But, you know, I began to understand that irrespective of what you achieve in life, like you said, that trauma that starts early, you know, creates demons for you, creates, mm-hmm. you know, difficulty that yeah. you can't overcome. So tell me about, based on what I just told you about that, tell me what your thoughts on that. Right. So it, there's a couple of different things that I think of. And you were talking about how that sort of celebrities who seem to have it all who commit suicide. One of the things that people do to escape their pain or to try to like distance themselves, right, from the hurt and the trauma of their past is to compensate for it, right? To to be a high achiever, to to have a high level of success. But then when you do those things and it doesn't take the pain away, it, it can bring about a sense of hopelessness, right? You thought that if, I mean, I think about midlife crisis, you think that if you have the, you know, you have the perfect relationship, job, career, house, you get it all, all your ducks in a row, then you're going to finally be happy, right? And many people, they they achieve all of that and they still feel empty inside. They still don't feel satisfied inside and into a sort of like, well, now what? And and so with the childhood trauma stuff, right, there's, there's a place where we want to, instead of going through the process of having the emotionally appropriate response, feeling the feelings, Doing the actual healing, what we're trying to do is sort of cover it up without actually healing it, right? I, When I talk to clients, I talk about how if you have a deep wound and you just try to put a Band-Aid over it, it doesn't make the wound go away. Like sometimes you need surgery and surgery is going to be painful and it's going to be a little bit hard. But when you do the surgery, then it can really heal, whereas you know, sort of as a metaphor, we do all of these things in our lives to cover up the pain, to put the band-aids on it, but we haven't really delved into the deep pain that needs to actually be acknowledged and healed so that we can truly move forward. And so I imagine there's, in, in your story, there's some of that experience of that pain is still there and that pain is still present. And all of the achievements and all of the other things that we do to try to fill ourselves up to compensate for that pain turn out to not be enough, right? Um, And addiction also is most of the time an attempt to self-medicate pain. Okay, so how do you go about trying to heal that psychological trauma and 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 let me let me get into a little bit more detail before you answer that. So, mm-hmm. they, I'm assuming that there 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 are options with that and maybe levels to that. And that is, you may have one personality type that has the ability to somehow. And you'll 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 uh, elaborate if I'm wrong or you elaborate if I'm right. Um, to to have found their way through different circumstances to self healing. And then mm-hmm. there are those who um, maybe go through self-healing, but they relapse. And then mm-hmm. there are those who overcome through either self-healing or through some sort of uh, support system and mechanism, you know, that involves others or something else or some other focus of life that lifts them to the point where they can somehow, I don't know if they can ever get rid of that, that you, I don't think you can get rid of your past, but they can, they can overcome it and, and understand it enough that that they they can move on from it and and sort of place it in in the space that it belongs in their life to not affect them in the now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think of the word the word that comes to my mind is alchemy, right? The ability to take something that is seemingly so horrible and so 
damaging and to understand it at a sort of deep and maybe sometimes like a cosmic or spiritual level such that you're able to transform it and turn it into gold for your life. And there are plenty of, of stories of people, right, that have transformed, come out of horrible trauma and horrible experiences to, to go on to do amazing things and to, to really transform it in a certain way. Um, again, it comes back to, for me, in, in my work and, and study, is this, this concept of did you, were you allowed to have an emotionally appropriate response to what happened to you? And the reason that some people do and some people don't is whether or not there was someone in your life that could provide you with the safe space and the empathy. So if you're a little kid and something traumatic happens to you, let's say with your parents, and then you get upset by it and your parents tell you, oh, don't cry or it's not a big deal or you're making too much out of this, whatever that is, because you depend up until a certain age on your parents for your very survival, you are going to separate yourself from those emotions and those experiences because the most important thing is to maintain that relationship of connection with your primary caregiver. If you have someone in your life that's a safe person, that's a caring person, that can empathize with you, that can hold space for that pain for you, then you can acknowledge it for what it is and you can process it appropriately. But without that, you really, until you get to a certain age, you really can't. And I think that's a lot of what keeps people really stuck in their trauma is they never got to really acknowledge it and see it for what it was um, and let it go. And then the other piece which is the second key that I talk about is that there's a lot of subconscious stuff that gets put in place in our childhoods that if we don't go back and address it, uh, keeps some of the challenging behaviors or experiences in place. Okay. Yeah. So that was that, that I was about to move on to that. And that's your second uh, key in that is subconscious programming patterns and beliefs that need to be addressed and updated. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, as I read that, I think about, I think, uh, I wonder how difficult that is. And it's got to be tremendously difficult because in our subconscious, um, whether it's, it's, you know, we're, we're being tor- tormented by our subconscious or we find a place of refuge. Um, I'm not sure that even in, 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 in lesser, uh, lesser evils that we go through in our lives, that's not an easy thing to do to address it. Um, especially if there's, there's not, you know, professional help involved. And I would, yeah. And, and, and I'll let you just let me, just, yeah, I just want to finish yeah. this thought. Um, yeah. um, and I, and I say that because there's also the challenge of, you know, self-acknowledgement and that huge hurdle that many face on many levels to actually seek professional help. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, there's, there's many levels, I think, to that. I agree to some extent that trying to understand your own subconscious patterns without some assistance can be a little bit challenging. And also the thing about subconscious is, right, there's the things that we don't want to acknowledge and we don't want to see. Anxiety, for example, can be the the emotions that we've cut off from our childhood, right, that we don't want to feel, we don't want to experience. And whenever those emotions or those feelings start to, to surface, we get really the anxiety is it shows up um, and on the other hand with the right tools with the right support with the right skills when you can really just look behind what what it what something is or what's going on like once you really get to the heart of why 
something is the way it is. Let's see, you have a, um, like OCD something. But when you really understand at the deepest subconscious level what that is, then the behavior can change rather easily and rather quickly. Sometimes it does take a little bit of work to get really to what that subconscious issue or pattern is. Um, and, and there are many, you know, there are many different sort of approaches, methods that can help with the resetting of the subconscious. So I'm going to chat a little bit more about this issue because I find it interesting because you mentioned OCD. And uh, I think I had this conversation with a, with another des- uh, guest a while ago. Um, at first, I would easily have said that I considered myself to be OCD. And then after that conversation, um, I think I'm OC. I haven't gone mm-hmm. as far as the D yet. Right. Yeah. And and I didn't even know there was a difference until I had really thought about it. Um, I think I am obsessive compulsive. Um, I don't think it's a level of, you know, where we would, where it could be categorized as a disorder. Maybe it is. Um, well, I think to me, disorder is, has it become enough of a problem that is disruptive to your ability to function in your life basically is is how i think of disorder right and if you put it in that category like i said yes the d is missing from mine i do mm-hmm. um i i think i i'm not sure when the, uh, which episode it was but i explained things like um i will leave let's say i'm leaving the house to go out i have part of it i guess is fear of 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 something like fire or whatever so I'll, I'll check the, each knob on the stove. Oh, mm-hmm. that's not mm-hmm. too crazy, right? But I will check the knobs on the stove. And I've actually done this a few times and I'm, 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 I'm trying to figure out what's going on with you. Cause I would, I will go back to the door. I'll open the door. I'll close the door. I'll go back to the stove. I'll check it again. I'll leave the stove. Uh-huh. I'll say I forgot my keys in my office. I'll grab my keys. I'll come back. I'll check the stove again. And then when I finally make it out the door and I close the door, I'll stand there for a second and say, did I check the stove? You know, and I've got this, and I know I did, and I've got this impulse, and I've got to really fight it. Otherwise, I would open the door with the keys and go back again. So, you know, stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I chuckle because I have a friend who, who had a similar similar pattern. And I wouldn't, like, I don't know offhand what the the root of that really is, but the thing that I say about the subconscious, right, is that there's some reward or some benefit some or something that your subconscious is trying to do for you to keep you safe, right? So fear of, there's some fear of the house burning down, maybe whatever. And, and so the strategy, right, the strategy of the subconscious is I'm going to check and double check and, and check again to make sure that we're going to be okay. And so the work of then of, of adjusting the subconscious is to understand what the subconscious is trying to do for you, what need it's trying to meet, and then to uh, educate the subconscious, right, to, to reset the subconscious to understand, either to understand that the level of threat that you perceive is not as great and give the subconscious some reassurance so it doesn't have to keep sort of amping up that level of behavior. And then also, you know, it's, it's trying to meet a need. So sometimes we can give also, in this example, I'm not sure exactly how it fits, but give your subconscious a different strategy to accomplish whatever it's trying to accomplish. Yes. So that, then that's the thing of, I think, at the level of trying to change behavior without understanding the subconscious is like we keep trying to shift the behavior, but the behavior is happening for a reason. Your subconscious need is doing that for a reason. And if you don't address the reason that the subconscious is trying to do it, it's almost like, it was just, it's trying to keep you safe. It's trying to meet some need. It's just going to go back to the default. If you don't give it a different strategy 
to take care of that same need, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I'm I'm, I'm thinking about you know because I. I you're giving me a lot of uh, things to think about after we, uh, mm-hmm. we finish you know, this episode because I think to myself, I also do that, for instance, with the door. I come out the house, I lock the door, I go to my mm-hmm. truck, I'll put something in, I get out my truck, I'll come back, I'll check the door again. I go, you yeah. know, maybe check the garbage, so take the garbage, come back, check the door again. You know. <laughs> there is a practice that, that is used in many different, you know, therapy so forth, which is to to basically have a conversation with that subconscious part of yourself, right? So and there's different ways to do it and you can do it like I facilitate some of my clients with this, but you can literally like put a chair in front of you and imagine that's your like nervous, anxious subconscious part and here you are and you have a conversation, say What's really going on here? What do you need? Like, what do you want me to know as the, as a conscious part of yourself, conscious human being? What do you want me to know about you? What are your concerns? And then building this relationship. Okay, how do we work together? What do you really need? How do I how do I take care of you? Or like a a sort of easier maybe example to wrap your head around is uh, the concept of inner child, right? So there's a hurting little child somewhere inside of you. And that goes back to some of the stuff we were talking about before. But if you if you put your child self in front of you and say, okay, like, what's really going on for you? What do you need? Like, how can I be there for you? Maybe you see that child crying. How do you comfort that child? How do you take care of that child? And then it's, it's reintegrating the subconscious. So one of the things about the the child part of yourself at the subconscious is when you're not feeling safe, right? Or something comes up, like your inner child will basically get activated and feel scared, feel terrified, whatever it is, and then take over sort of your life, take over the situation to try to get what it needs. And I talk about this in my book and finding your unhappy is that when you can start to learn how to be the parent for that child, sort of like you separate it out and then you learn how to parent the child, then you're taking care of the, the child part. So, for example, I had a client who was dealing with a lot of anxiety at work. And she realized that the anxiety was her little inner girl being really scared about things and that if she could just when that anxiety showed up recognize that it was that little girl part of herself that needed some reassurance and comfort and that she could really have the back of that little girl and comfort that little girl and let that little girl know that she was going to be okay it completely changed the dynamic for her and she stopped having the same levels of anxiety and fear about expressing herself at work and it completely changed things for her yeah um i was thinking as as you were saying that too i i guess my my lucky part about that is that mine mine doesn't make me unhappy it's just very annoying (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know it's it's because i cannot i cannot um and I've, I've gone through this struggle before and i've told myself in my you know as i'm speaking to my own self like Julian, you, you checked the door twice already. And it's it's almost like a tug of war now because I'm standing. Let's say I turn to go check the door the third time. And I'm standing between the door, let's say midway between the door and of the house and the door of my car. And it's almost <laughs> like a tug of war, you know, as to which yeah. direction I go. And sometimes I win and sometimes I don't, you know. Yeah. So if, if you were my client... I, what I would have you do or that we would do together is have you really get in touch with imagining that, that OCD part of yourself as a separate entity quality, a part of yourself and, and really try to understand it, try to empathize with it, have that conversation so you can really understand what's going on with it. And then it's sort of like having a mediation with yourself and to sort of negotiate, say, okay, so what do you really need here? 
um, it's not working out so well for me to to try to you know go check these things three times when I've already done it. So where where can we go with this? And then just see what comes up because you sometimes you'll be surprised when you when you sit in the shoes of that voice inside of yourself to see what it has to say and and empathize it with it and understand what the real issue is some really interesting sometimes surprising and deep things can come up and then the goal is really to enlist that part of yourself in in being part of your integrated whole and helping you like when the subconscious understands that maybe it's creating problems for you and like, can you let you be in control? Can it get on board with you? It can really shift a lot. And, um, and also I think we judge, you know, we tend to judge parts of ourselves that we don't really like so much and think that they're wrong. Like habits are bad, right? We use bad habits as a word. It's more like what's really going on and what are you trying to accomplish or what needs are you trying to meet? And when we bring compassion to those parts of ourselves, we can understand them in a different way and then work with them in a different way instead of always like blaming, judging or shaming ourselves for being that way, right? That doesn't usually help very much. But if we have compassion and understanding, it can create more space for shift. Well, I'm, 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 you know, it, it's very interesting to hear that because I also happen to be a gadget nerd and my solution was to get, just get a remote control to, to lock everything and then I could just keep pressing the button and I didn't have to go back to the door. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> that's, that's the, that's the, uh, the, the less, uh, psychological, uh, solution for it. It's just, you know, right. yeah, cause I do that with my truck too. I'll get out my truck and I'll press the lock button and I'll press it again and it's locked. The lights go off. And as I'm going in the house, I press it again and I'll, you know, sure. yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll leave my, uh, <laughs> my issues <laughs> <we> aside <laughs> for a moment and we'll, we'll, we'll get to the third main key, which is internalizing things that aren't actually the person's problems or issues and then trying to overcome mm -hmm. them as if they are. Yes. So an example that I like to give on that is a lot of people struggle with feeling not good enough, right? And so they've taken on this belief that they're not good enough. And then they're trying to prove in their lives that they are good enough. But the problem with that is that they were never not good enough in the first place. So there's never going to be anything that they can do to disprove it because it was a lie in the first place, if that makes sense. And what I say about not good enough is you internalize other people not showing up for you and taking care of you in the way that you needed and required when you were little. And because, again, on a psychological level with young children, it's too life-threatening to think the problem is with the people that you depend on for your very survival. So what do we do? We blame ourselves. We think that it's something wrong with us because then we have power and then we can fix it. And we can, and so at an early age, you might take on the belief that you're not good enough because your parents were checked out, not available, whatever. And so then your whole life, you're trying to solve for that thing that really had nothing to do with you in the first place. So that's, that's one example of how that plays out. Right. And, and, um, as I'm thinking about that, I, you know, it's, it's, how should I put this? Internalizing things can be, and I've, I've seen people do it at different levels and I've, I've come across people who have done it at different levels. And, you know, I was reading a bit about what you mentioned in, you know, uh, the information you provided. And, and I, I can think of a couple of people who, first off, they're people pleasers. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The, the issue with that is, and I think I'm thankful I'm not that way because the, I see people, people please even to the level, you know, it's hurting them inwardly. Yeah. But well, they, and that goes, 
I, I do a lot of work actually with people pleasing. And what I've found with that is it almost always goes back again to the little child thing. It goes back to fear of abandonment. And that that is really the core issue of people pleasing is that you're afraid to lose that, that relationship. And you learned as a little kid to give people what they needed so that they wouldn't disconnect from you so that they would stay, I mean, with various degrees of success or not, but that's almost, I would say almost all of the people I talk with around people pleasing is it really goes back like, or, and then there's like the guilt, the fear, um, the shame of it, but it's all around. I need other people's approval and I need other people's, being connected to me in order to feel okay, in order to survive. Oh, I, I can, I can, as, as you're speaking again, I'm thinking of someone specifically. And what I know from that person is, it, 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 it's, I, and you can tell me a bit about it when I tell you about the personality I've observed. So there are people pleaser um, when they're in front of that person. Um, and what mm-hmm. I learned over time is they'll say something very negative about that same person behind that person's back. And mm-hmm. at first it just seemed trivial, but then I realized that I think the reason that they do that, and you know, I think they were getting away with it for a while, but it's, it's ingrained in their personality, but very visible to everyone around them, even though they think it, it's not, is because mm-hmm. in the, in the effort to be a people pleaser, you get caught up in a web because mm. I think what happened to them is it's, for instance, to say, well, you know, they'll say, well, Ilana, you know, all these great things about Ilana. And then they'll say to Julian, you know, I, I, I don't like these things about Ilana. But then you'll say mm-hmm. to Julian, you know, all these nice things. And you'll say to Ilana, I can't stand Julian. You know, that, that, yeah. so the person yeah. that they're yeah. in front of, yes. And it's all but about yeah, being accepted be- in the present company. Mm-hmm. Be liked, be accepted, to not to avoid conflict, right? To appease the situation, to make peace with the situation. And, right? So if you're with that person and you're conflict averse, you're afraid of people's disapproval, then yes, in front of them, you're going to. You're going to make it all look really good, even though maybe underneath you have a real problem with that person. But there's that fear, right, that they're going to be mad at you, that they're not going to like you, that they're going to disconnect from you if they find out. So I'll say it to other people, but I won't say it to them because then all of a sudden I'm the the little kid that's getting in trouble for saying something not nice or whatever that is. Yes, and, and and so to 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 sort of as I think about it again to bring this full full circle, I'm thinking about someone who was struggling with uh, unhappiness because of you know any of the various reasons that we mentioned in in, in this conversation, and now it's they've got another layer, and that layer is what has transpired over the last year. And I always try to bring it back in in this time to this conversation, because hopefully what we discussed here will be helpful to someone and will empower someone and will lift someone and will give them energy to, you know, to put one foot in front of the other and make them recognize that they don't have to stay in that space that they're in. But, you know, this whole pandemic, this whole year of, you know, life altering changes, and I'm going to speak for a quick moment on several layers of it. And one is um, uh, the loss of life that uh, compounds unhappiness. And depending on who it is that you lost, that's, you know, their relationship to you can uh, become an additional part of, 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 you know, the destructive nature that lies underneath. Because now you're compounding uh, trauma with a different set of trauma that involves sad- sadness and loss. And I think what I've seen with a lot of people, you know, it gets to a point where it has become helplessness 
simply because they're overwhelmed. And, and it's, it's, you know, I've, I've heard about different scenarios where people have lost three or four people in their own family. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so, and, and then there's, you know, we've had what, two or three waves, because I think they're talking about the possibility of wave number four. So let's say we've had three waves of this virus. So it seemed like, you know, after wave one, we thought we were coming out of it. We got hit with wave two. We thought we were coming out of it. And, you know, it, to a certain extent, a lot of people have lost hope. Um, they've lost their jobs. They've lost their income. Um, they've, they've lived with the anxiety of waiting to see whether the government will step in and, and you know, give them a lifeline. That's happened with a lot of people who are on an, uh, with, who are receiving unemployment and had to wait to the last minute, to the last second of the last day as people played politics with our lives. And so there, there, you know, I, I want us to spend a little bit more time helping or, or, or giving information and sharing empowerment to, or, or to people who now have layers on top of the trauma. So they may have been uh, at the edge pre COVID. And mm-hmm. now they're, they're either basically just hanging on or just passing time without any purpose. You know, what would you say to them? Well, get, uncom- get comfortable with uncertainty is one of the pieces. So I, in, when I was still struggling with my mental health and feeling suicidal and, and depressed and so forth, I went through some super challenging times in my life where like I was actually homeless and I didn't know where I was going to sleep at night. I had a car, but I didn't have a home. And um, I learned a few things through that, that I think are very applicable in this time because what, what's happening right now is that we're in a time of great uncertainty, right? We don't, the things that we leaned into and trusted and felt were predictable and reliable oftentimes are not. And one of the strategies that really helped me get through that very unpredictable, uncertain and challenging time was the practice of getting incredibly present. And I actually still use it to this day. Um, I was reading, I don't know if you're familiar with the author Eckhart Tolle, but one of the things that he talks about a lot is being present. And he was talking about how you never have a problem in the present moment. Either you are just present or you're responding to what is happening in your life. You're taking action in some way. And if you're not, it's a mental story about the past or about the future. And so I realized that, you know, it'd be lunchtime and I'd start to fret about where I was going to sleep that night. And I said, you know what, that's that's like half a day away. Or what actually happened is I realized, like, I would try to problem solve for what was going to happen that night, whatever. And then... I would get to the night and something totally different would happen or the solution would present itself or all this kind of stuff. And I realized, oh, I spent like, let's not get ahead of myself, basically. Like it's going to work out. And, and so often it did, but that it was just that practice of let me be pre- like, I, I do this with money also, right? Like currently it's like, uh, I'll start to fret about money and then I'll say, well, do I have the money that I need right now? And the answer is yes. Like, okay. And if the answer were no, then what would I do? I'd say like, okay, what am I going to do about it? Right. That would be being present or I might say, okay, yes, but I anticipate like I'm going to have, I have some needs. Okay. So what am I going to do right now to, to move myself forward? Um, but life really is uncertain we have this illusion that before I think pre COVID, we have this illusion that everything is like fairly reliable. We have reliable jobs. We have da 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 da. I mean, it's great. It's lovely. And when I was going through homelessness, I was like, well, if it's all an illusion, I'll break some more illusion, please. But at the same time, you know, you can, your house can burn down. You can get fired. You're, there are so many unpredictable that can happen to anyone at any time. 
And so finding that, that comfort of being present with yourself and what's your life and what you do have right now, uh, you'll find that you have a lot less problems than you think you have when you're really truly present in the moment that you're in in your life. Yeah, that's, 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 that's uh, amazing to hear you say that. I had, um, previously had two guests on. One was uh, David Stone and one was Jim Case. And they both, we, we spoke about fear of being a choice and anxiety and worry and the, the, the waste of energy behind worrying. Um, you know, yeah. it, it changed my, I'll be honest with you. There's a few episodes, every episode I have, I think makes, has some impact on my life because the conversations we have, I have in 247 Real Talk are always like the one I'm having with you now. They're deep and they're life reflecting and, and, and sometimes life altering. And, and I got to a place, uh, one of those episodes helped me to get to a place of every time I start to worry, I'm like, nope, I'm not going to do it. Um, recognizing right. that it's a waste, you know, either you spend the energy looking for a solution, but you're not going to change anything by worrying about what's to come or how it's going to come well, because you, you have no control. Right. And what I noticed about my own worry in some cases is I would create a fictitious future problem. And then I would spend a lot of energy trying to solve against that problem or solve for that problem. And then, like, I remember, like, I was afraid to, like, of an encounter I was going to have with somebody or something like that. And I spent all this energy trying to figure out how I was going to, what I was going to do, how I was going to, and then, like, that person didn't even show up or something. And, it like, that wasn't even a reality that I'd created in my head and then spent a lot of time trying to solve the situation that didn't actually even exist. And that's when I realized, wow, that's really I just wasted a lot of my life energy on this thing that I created in my head that never came to be real. Yes, I, I've done so that. That's how I think about worry, right? It's yes. like somebody once told me, um, worrying is praying for what you don't want to happen to happen, which I thought was really an uh, interesting way of looking at it. And then also just realizing, oh, I'm basically creating a problem in my head and then trying to solve that problem. But none of that is actually really what's happening. Yes. So. I, I, I am. I, I got, I have to say that. And I mentioned their names over and over the Jim case and David Stone, because they made a big impact on me too, because I, for you know, most of my life, you know, I had that what if scenario that I would create, and then I would mm -hmm. worry, you yeah, know, exactly. what if, what if this doesn't happen? And then the time would come and it's something completely that, you know, and the, the weird exactly. thing about it is that repetition is not, uh, is not a resolution because I kept doing it over and over and over again throughout my life. I kept, even though I, I, I worried about something and I created this whole scenario and it never happened and, it was an example of a waste of time worrying. The next scenario would come up and I would do it again and I would do it again, you know, until for some reason that episode when we really got into the conversation. And, and since then, a lot has changed about that part of my life. So those two have definitely made a, you know, a, a big impact on me and allowed me to do that. And then my other, um, and I don't know what your beliefs are, but my other stronghold for me is, is my faith. And, you know, um, with my faith, I have that, it helps me to recognize, you know, and so and, and supports what you were saying that we have zero control over the next, you know, the next second in our lives, yeah. and so that's like faith and faith and trust that um, life will provide for you and support you in some way, or or like even at the most fundamental level that whatever happens to you, you will find a way to handle it. It's like faith in your own capacity to meet the challenges of your life and get through them. And when you have that, because that's what a lot of the worry is, right? That you're not going to be able, you're not going to have the, the capacity to meet what life throws at you. But when you really start to lean into the trust that, okay, 
whatever happens, I'll find a way through it. I'll get through it. I'll do whatever I have to do. That can really change things, right? You're, you're trusting in your own ability to respond. Well, my faith too is my faith, you know, my spiritual faith where I believe at the end of the day that my creator will provide. And it doesn't really, that, Mm -hmm. that, you know, again, there's so many, you know, and, and COVID is a good example of how little control we have. You know, we're worrying. I think that for me, I, you know, as I, as I have progressed over, you know, over the last couple of months or, or whatever time period it's been, that, um, it comes down to recognizing that part of us really wants control and we need to recognize that we have zero control in terms of what happens next. We can only react to what happens next. Um, right. Well, and I think about that thing about control, so I'm thinking about that too while we're sitting here talking and how it's like the fragile sort of egoic self, your own sense of your own identity or, it's this personality part of ourselves that's so fearful and so scared of our our demise in some way. And I think that goes back to, I mean, I always bring it back to childhood, right? But, but some like, am I going to be okay? Am I going to be provided for? Am I going to be secure? It's the little child that's scared that, it's not going to get its needs met. And and so if we go back to the conversation also with the subconscious, is like, can you bring some comfort and some reassurance and some care and some love to the parts of yourself that in this time of uncertainty are getting really scared or getting really panicked or afraid that, you know, you're going to be out on the street or... I mean, in some ways, for me, having gone through being homeless, that fear no longer has a hold on me in the same way it did, right? That's what, like, a lot of people's fear is, like, they're going to be broken homeless. When you get to that point and you make it through it and you deal with it, it's like, okay, well, no, I, yeah, it sucks, but I made it through, and so now I'm willing to show up to life in a different way because of that, that fear that primal fear of like, am I going to survive is I know I'm going to survive. And so I don't walk around in the world in the same way of like, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh, what's going to happen. Um, but I think that is that like little child part of yourself that, you know, some subconscious part of yourself that if you can bring some, some empathy to the part of yourself that is scared, that's a that's an act of being present, right? Of what you're going, what's going on inside of you, and then hopefully you can find some more peace and more some more calm to to show up to life as it is, right? Not all of the thoughts that you put on top of it, but as the reality that you're in right now, um, and then keep going forward. Yeah, without, well, for me, for you know, me, like. Yeah, for me, like I said, my, you know, for me, it's again, um, what I learned from about worry and I, and I sort of tie that to, you know, to my faith and, you know, to my belief that, that my creator, that, that God will make a way for me. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that ability to have that spirituality, um, takes a lot of the, the anxiety away too, because once you, you know, you let go and let God, then you find that peace, you know, um, there are those who, and even, I mean, I, I get fascinated myself on the psychological implications of, of faith, right. And what it does to us. Right. So if we have that faith, like what does it do psychologically? It, allows us to surrender a little bit more, to stop needing to be in control, that it's giving us trust. So whether or not you believe any anything in a God, in a creator, the ability to 
lean into a faith and trust that things will work out and that you will be taken care of changes your experience of life, right? It changes your makeup. It changes how you show up. It changes how you engage with the world. So just entertaining that belief and, and holding that as your reality is going to change your reality. And in a certain way, because it's like the way that you see things is the way that you experience things often. Yes. And I think that's the way we were, you know, God created us to be. Um, so I want to, as, as, as I, as I go back to, in, you know, in sort of coming full circle to wrap this up and I go back to the thought about, you know, and, and hopefully the, the vaccine is, you know, does the trick eventually and we all come out of this, you know, I think that we all come out of this different than we went in. And I think that Mm -hmm. what you speak about in, you know, in in helping people to find, to get out of that rut, so to speak, is going to become critical. I think that I've heard even politicians mention um, how much, you know, the, the funds that need to be put towards helping people with mental health issues as, as, you know, as they emerge from this life altering situation, each of us has had a different experience. What would you, I'm going to ask you as your final thought, what would you say based on your experience, based on your interaction with your clients and based on your knowledge of what people are struggling with now, what would be your final thoughts to my audience and to all who listen to this episode? That's a good question. I'm thinking about like so many, there's so many layers, right, that we've already sort of covered, but like that your perception has so much to do with how you experience things. And can you look for the possibility and can you look for the opportunity or are you looking for the problem and the challenge, right? And everything that shows up in every shift that happens in our lives is an invitation to look at things freshly, to explore things differently. I mean, if you think about like so many people now use technology and Zoom and we're able to shift in something new. So the world is rapidly changing and evolving and we don't know what it's going to look like. But if you keep your self and your mind on the vision and the question of where is the possibility here and what is the next thing that I can adjust toward and move toward, then you're not going to get stuck on how things change and how disruptive it is, right? You're going to look for what is this making possible that wasn't possible before that now I can move into and now I can keep going toward the future that's a uh that's a really uh, great final thought and i'm hoping that uh people who are, who are going through this will seek help and um you know find their way i i i, I can imagine you know based on the stories that i've heard and the, and the things i've personally experienced that there are some horrific experiences out there that people have gone through. So I hope that they can get some inspiration and empowerment and, and hope from this, uh, this, this episode. Um, before we go, tell us about your book where we could, where people can find it and, and get a hold of it. Yes. So if you go to finding your own happy you can get a free PDF copy or it's also available in print online if you want to purchase an actual physical book. So is it on Amazon or where? where, where? Yeah, on Amazon, other booksellers as well. Fantastic. So, Ilana, I want to thank you so much for being a guest on 247 Real Talk, for um, sharing your thoughts, your insights, your experience, you know, sort of bearing your soul of, of your journey and in an effort to empower and help others and for taking the step of, you know, writing a book that's, that I guess could be a, a self-help guide to, in, to some extent 
for those who mm-hmm. are struggling. And, and so thank you so much for at this late hour for joining me as a guest on 247 Real Talk. It's been a real pleasure having you. Yes, I always, I always love talking about this stuff and very much appreciated this conversation. So thank you. Thank you so much. I'll be right back to you. Stay on the line. a very special thank you to my guest Elana Davidson for sharing her story, her inspiration and her desire to be a model to help others who struggle with the same and who are struggling with the same as the world deals with this challenge. I also want to say thank you to my supporters who continue to support 247 Real Talk reminding you that you can listen to any and every episode on your favorite podcast app if you'd like to be a guest on the show, or if you'd like to leave me a message, you can email me at podcast at 247realtalk.net. That's podcast at 247realtalk.net. Until the next time, take care of yourselves and each other.